What does the re-election of Danielle Smith here in Alberta mean for law-abiding firearms owners, not just in Alberta, but across the country? Then, what's the status of Justin Trudeau's latest gun grab? We'll find out. I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed, and you're watching The Gun Show. Reports are that Justin Trudeau's latest gun grab, that's Bill C-21, it's hurtling through the Senate at breakneck speeds because the Liberals want it firmly entrenched in Canadian law before everybody goes home for their never-ending summer holidays. You see, they don't want to take the time to consider property rights, the actual impact that banning a bunch of guns would have on real crime statistics, gang violence, public safety. No, 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 there's no time to consider those things or the impact that banning a bunch of guns would have on firearms retailers who will end up with stranded assets. Again, no, 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 no time for that. We've got to get this done before we can go for our summer cottage vacations. Thanks, liberals. Then, what does the re-election of Alberta Premier Daniel Smith mean for firearms owners in Alberta, but also as a thought leader on the issue of property rights amongst the premiers across the country. I think it is a great thing for Alberta, and it's going to inspire other premiers to stand up to Ottawa to do the same, to say we are not using any provincial resources to grab the guns of Albertans who have committed no crimes. And then just this morning, as I'm recording this Tuesday morning, I see in the gun blog, that the Liberals have misled the public, I know, <laughs> you probably can't believe it, about the cost of their gun grab compensation program. They call it a buyback program, but um, you can't really buy back something that wasn't yours to begin with. So this is, Canadians are, are caught up in the order in council, which banned f initially 1,500, but now closer to 2,000 popular models of Canadian rifles and shotguns. The Liberals initially pegged the cost of that program at eight hundred seven to $800 million. Well, according to documents obtained by the great folks at the gun blog, and these are internal liberal communications, back in 2019, they pegged the buyback program at closer to $2 billion, which means, quite frankly, it's probably closer to $4 billion after you factor in all the cost overruns and government ineptitude and bloated bureaucracy. These people just can't tell the truth. Now, <laughs> joining me to discuss all these issues are some men who really know what they're talking about. It's Rick Igersich. He's the national president of the National Firearms Association of Canada. And then we've got Dwayne Gorniak. He's the Alberta director of the National Firearms Association. Here's our interview. Take a listen. So joining me now is Rick Igersich. He's the president of the National Firearms Association and Dwayne Gorniak. He is the Alberta director of the National Firearms Association. So we'll talk about um, some things that are happening federally. And then I want to talk to Dwayne about um, sort of the political 
aspect of the recent re-election of Alberta Premier Daniel Smith and what that means for gun owners here in Alberta. But Rick, I think I'll start with you. Uh, first of all, thanks guys for joining me. Um, you guys are very busy. Um, you're fighting the government. So I appreciate the time that you're taking to talk to me and and update the firearms community who uh, I think there's a strong overlap between um, your audiences and mine. Uh, Rick, tell us what's going on with the latest fight back against Justin Trudeau's gun grab. Thanks. Thanks for having us again, Sheila. Uh, the latest gun grab. Uh, yeah, that's that's the best word, the best descriptor right there. What's going on right now? The SECU meetings are finished and it is actually in second reading in the Senate. The liberals are trying to fast track this through Parliament as fast as they can. They want to get this done before summer break. So uh, it, it is in the Senate. It is in second reading. We have applied. To, uh, we have applied to give evidence in Senate. We haven't got a response yet. But I, I, I you know what? With a liberal, with a liberal leaning Senate, I don't know if we'll get a chance to uh, give give a chance or have a chance to give a statement. I'm hoping that uh, I, I'm hoping that we do. They need to hear from the firearms community. Uh, with that said, uh, there's also the liberals also are recreating the firearms advisory board. Now this was uh, this they had one of these in the past, and it kind of got uh, it kind of got buried. So that was one of the things that at the end of SECU that they uh, they suggested to do to create this uh, firearms advisory board, and it, they're gonna it basically they said we're reconstituting uh, the firearms advisory board, and it's gonna be represented by uh, uh, all parts of the demographic. And uh, that I, I'm waiting to see. Uh, it's supposed to be a bipartisan committee, but we have applied for that also. But the chances of us uh, getting on that, I think, are pretty slim. I think any any gun advocacy group, is, it's going to be pretty hard pressed to get on that on that board. And that's where we're basically at right now. Uh, you know, they're, uh, they're like I say, they're fast tracking. They're trying to push it They're uh, You know, they're creating these committees that are going to favor them. And the end at the end of the day, just like this whole process the SECU and all this, all the, all these meetings and all this stuff we went through, everything favored them at the end of the day. The only good thing about it was that uh, our people uh, prolonged it. And I think uh, if they could keep doing that and, you know, get it close for the summer. And right now our best bet is an election. Like I've said before, we need an election. We need to get rid of this government. And uh, I think uh, hopefully things will get more unstable than they are in Ottawa. And uh, there'll be an election call, but uh, we're hoping that's what happens. And from my end, that's where we're at right now. Yeah, I, I mean, the liberals are uh, not against uh, stacking the deck against their political enemies, as we've seen with David Johnston, <laughs> Justin Trudeau's <laughs> yeah. family friend and friend yeah. to China being appointed to uh, investigate Justin Trudeau's ties to China and foreign influence peddling in Canada. So yeah, it's nothing new that they would stack this advisory board full of social justice activists, doctors against gun violence, um, feminists, but you won't see Olympic sports shooters. You won't see industry advocates. You won't see uh, advocates for the firearms community on there, I think, in any real capacity whatsoever. No. And, you know, and that's that's the game they play. Like I say, we need a we need a we need a government change and we need it quick. Uh, I want to ask Dwayne, uh, I'll, I'll bring you into the conversation here since you're waiting there so politely. But I saw the other day that the uh, liberals have uh, declared a national day against gun violence. 
as though there <laughs> there's anybody for gun violence except the gangsters. Uh, what do you think of this just shameless virtue signaling? It's, it's what the liberals always do. They have to put a label on something that's always divide and conquer. And we've talked about this in the NFA and uh, we're thinking about a new campaign called anti-violence 365. There, our whole <laughs> society should be anti-violence, you know, 365 days a year. And the liberals have to paint everything as the term gun violence. And, you know, we have the stance of there's no such thing as gun violence. It's just violent and criminal behavior period and the problem with the liberal system is that they're actually creating it they're they're we call them a farming industry if you can picture the courthouse as a combine and the police are taking the criminals and they're dumping them into the combine you know during harvest and then the judges and the lawyers and the bureaucrats process these criminals and then they hunt them right out the front door back onto the streets so it's i can't call it a justice system anymore it's a catch and release legal industry and that's that's how i envision that you know like it's and it's unfortunate for the police because the police are getting to the point where i I have a lot of personal friends that are police officers and they're so frustrated with it because doesn't matter how much they do their job, the liberals are turning their job into a meaningless situation with their way of doing that. And and again, it should be just anti-violence, period. You know, it, that, that's how I look at it. So, Yeah, there's a, a lot of demoralization in police services across the country, not just the RCMP, but our local municipal police forces. And a lot of it has to do with the catch and release um, system that we have here in Canada, the the flawed bail system, and then the wrongful targeting <laughs> of the friends and neighbors of um, police officers as criminals. Um, right. And there's, you know, like this National Day Against Gun Violence. It, it's sort of meant to pit the firearms community against anybody else who like to paint the firearms owning community as people who are quite possibly for gun violence. Um, it's it's all yeah. very strange. It's like they should, why don't you just go and make murder triple illegal while, while you're at it? Maybe the criminals will listen then. Um, yeah. Go ahead. So are we, are we going to have a national anti-murder day? You know, like, you know, it's, yeah. it's crazy how they label everything. And, and you're exactly right, Sheila, how they, they're, they're going to actually paint us, all three of us here in this mm-hmm. interview and discussion it's going to go against us and it's not going to do anything against the gangs. Um, you know, with, with the issue there and Pierre Polyev just released some stats there on his Twitter account there about uh, the gangs, how the violence is up. And for as long as I can remember criminal activity and especially gang activity, every time we get a liberal government in power, it goes up. Yeah. Yeah, I think Pierre Polyev the other day had some very interesting statistics about just the nature of violent crime that is being uh, done by chronic recidivists. <laughs> so these yep. people who who just keep getting arrested, let out, they uh, are out on bail, they commit a crime, they get arrested. The poor demoralized police keep having to arrest the same guys in the community who go before the same justice of the peace. The same criminal says to the same justice of the peace, I promise I won't do it this time. You got to let me out. And they do. And it's just the same guy is a systemic crime wave. And that's really the problem 
I think with the crime rates in the country is that people are allowed to commit crimes while out on bail and still get bail for those crimes. On the flip side, so help you God, don't you dare honk your horn in Ottawa and <laughs> upset some bureaucrats because you'll go to jail for 50 days. That's that's liberal logic, though, Sheila. You know, they uh, they're, they're going after uh, law abiding firearms owners that are vetted every day instead of uh, instead of the root cause. You know, like I, like you said, blow your horn in Ottawa and go to jail and get your bank accounts froze. You know, yeah. uh, you know, have a gun in your safe that with a trigger lock on it that that's a hundred percent locked down, and uh, you know, come and get it. But meanwhile, the the crime is running rampant in the streets. Yeah, right. Uh, and and just to add to that, in uh, Pierre Polyev's tweet, I've actually got it in front of me here. He says gun crime is up ten percent, violent crime is up thirty two percent, gang killings are up ninety two percent. And so, I mean, that's a huge number, gang killings. And, you know, it's frustrating because nothing is ever done about the root cause of the issue. And for the last three years throughout the OICs, all of these so-called semi-autos and what the liberals want to paint as bad guns, they've been banned through the OICs. Well, wait a minute, they're illegal. Nobody can have them anymore. But yet our gang killings are up 92% under the liberal government. And this is the same liberal government that reduced sentences, removed the mandatory minimum sentences for a whole host of gang related crimes um, because of systemic racism, Um, or at least that's the excuse that they used. So it just allows that recidivism to continue because there are no real consequences or at least not the strict consequences these people so rightly deserve. And yet the insinuation is that you and I and Rick <laughs> we're <laughs> pro gun violence, yeah. um, but we're not the ones that are repeatedly letting out the uh, violent criminals. That's the liberals. Now, I wanted to ask you guys um, about another thing on the federal sort of landscape. And it seems to me as though every time the liberals are in power, we get uh, some form of registration uh, and with registration always follows confiscation. Right. And also overblown uh, gun programs, um, wherein they underestimate the sheer cost of these programs, while also knowing the sheer cost of these programs and not divulging that to the public. So um, the one thing that's sort of on my radar today, it was on the gun blog. um, The liberals previously had said that their gun confiscation program uh, would uh, come to about 700 or, or sorry, 700 million dollars, which seemed to me a, a crazy estimate and a low ball naturally because they don't know how many of some of these guns are in the country because they were not registered before. So how do you know how many of them there are for you to go around and grab them and then confiscate or then compensate people for them? So how do you even ballpark that number? But even with that being said, liberal internal documents estimate the gun grab confiscation costs at 1.8 billion and that was back in 2019 in some briefing notes so they're telling the public it's 700 million dollars to uh confiscate the lawfully acquired property of uh, completely lawful people but even their own turn internal numbers peg this at closer to 2 billion which to me means four yeah you hit that you hit the nail on the head there what they're doing uh what they're doing, they, like you said, they do not know how many of those firearms are out there. So, of course, they put into some, uh, they put some plans into action, and one of them is the one we talked about before, where they, they they've got industry groups actually going from 
with lack of simpler terms, gun shop to gun shop to, to see what they've got there so they can report back to the government. And at the end of the day, I don't still believe there's going to be a buyout. Can Our country can't afford a $2 billion, 1.7, which is probably going to end up being $3 billion the way things are going. They can't afford that. Kind of, they can't afford to pay these people that kind of money. But they're definitely on an information gathering uh, scheme right now. And, uh, you know, th- I, I think uh, as this inform- I, I don't know how much of this information is going to come in. I've talked to a lot of people about this and uh, people, you know, unless they're absolutely directed by law to give that kind of information out, they're not going to give it out is what I've been hearing. And, uh, you know, the, the, the numbers are going to be skewed anyway, but I, I still think it's going to reach far into the billions. Yeah, I think we're looking at probably close to double. Everything the government touches costs more money than it should. Look at the Trans Mountain Pipeline. <laughs> like yeah. it just everything they touch just turns to overblown budgets. Um, and the I guess the point of all of this is, is it's completely unnecessary. It will do nothing to alleviate those those increases in gang killings that Dwayne just told us about. No, what it's doing is actually taking uh, taking money out of the coffers that they could put towards uh, gang uh, gang violence and uh, you know uh, smuggled guns. That they're taking money out of their co- their coffers to buy these guns that are all locked up in safes now anyway that aren't doing anything. They're not growing legs and committing crimes, but they're put they're well. Then again, like I say, are they going to push this mu- that much money towards, or are they just going to come and confiscate them? We don't know that yet, and we won't know that until it happens. But even the money that they're wasting coming up with these schemes, paying uh, paying these people to do this, that could all be put towards gang violence and smuggled firearms, which is the root of the po- which is the root of the problem. And that that would definitely better be better than, uh, you know, uh, basically wasting wasting taxpayers money. You know, it's a chilling proposition for the liberals to say, look, we're being fiscal conservatives by stealing your guns. And not compensating you for them, but that, that's yeah. liberal logic for you. Um, that's liberal logic. Now, Dwayne, I wanted to ask you. Um, we'll move into sort of the ramifications of the Alberta election here. Um, Daniel Smith, our new newly elected, um, given a brand new mandate to lead Premier. She's very pro firearms community and anti gun grab. She has said that. Uh, our RCMP will not be asked to do Justin Trudeau's bidding and go around door to door, kicking in the doors of friends and neighbors and confiscating their firearms. Do you think that that is something that is going to hold true? I I do. Um, not now. I guess some of the things I'm about to say are of my opinion and not the sure. NFA. So, that's why. Uh, that's why you're here. <laughs> yeah. So so I'm very very. Uh, involved in in the conservative movement in in alberta and i used to sit on the original wild rose board and yes when danielle smith crossed the floor and all that you know she definitely made a a big mistake but with that said most politicians of her stature never get a second chance like that and she's profusely apologized for it there were some internal things going on in the wild rose party at that time that Mm -hmm. you know made her cross the floor and I, I truly believe, you know, her when she apologized to us and said she will not make that mistake again. So with that said, she she's it's do or die for her. And and I think she's going to do it just fine. I, I think she's actually going to be a great leader for us. 
with with the gun grab, um, she's obviously going to move forward on the situation with uh, taking less power away or authority away from the RCMP. And Saskatchewan's doing the same thing too. They're just doing it a little more quietly than Alberta mm-hmm. is. Alberta's just being a little more vocal about it. So they're they're implementing new procedures and legislation or guidelines, I guess you'd say for any person that come in and confiscate a firearm, they have to be licensed by the Alberta government. And if, if the RCMP and the liberal government truly had their way and they come in, confiscate firearms, they're only going to confiscate it from grandparents and people like me. And again, that 92% crime or gang related violence increase is still going to go on just fine. It's just, they're going to be taking grandpa's guns away and they're going to be removing family heirlooms. And this is what Danielle Smith is going to try and stop. And so is Scott Moe. I I think they're on the right track and, you know, just got to keep going that way. And they're, they're definitely leading the way in that movement. So. I want to ask you how, now I like her, uh, Terry Bryant, our, our chief firearms officer, we kicked out Justin Trudeau's here in Alberta and brought in our own, who is someone who actually knows something about firearms. Is she symbolic or is she actually useful? I can actually, I'll answer that. I talked to Terry. I want to hear from both of you. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I I hear from Terry all the time and uh, we're, we're, we're in contact all the time. We actually, uh, we actually, she, uh, she, uh, you know, is is in touch with us, and she, no, she's not symbolic. Terry right. has one of the biggest collection of Japanese firearms, probably in North America. She's a shooter. She's a gun person, and she is all about gun rights. There's absolutely nothing symbolic there, in my opinion. And and I agree with Rick on that. Terry, I've known Terry for a very long time through the Calgary gun shows. Um, I'm also the president of the Vermilion Gun Range, so the Vermilion Gun Club. And Terry has been known at our gun club and taken interest in our cowboy action shoot. She's gotten involved with that. She's come up with her new handle called Too Tall Trixie. So, uh, you know, it, Terry's just a genuine person. She's... Terry. She's amazing. She's the probably the best thing that's happened to us ever in this gun community throughout the whole country. And at first, I know years ago there was there were some ideas that appointing your own chief firearms officer is like appointing your own grim reaper or executioner. And with Terry, that'll never happen. I, it, she's, she is genuine, like Rick said, and a real gun person. And she's trying to do everything she can to make everything better for us in Alberta, you know, within the guidelines. Like, I mean, she does live within a certain amount of guidelines and people have to understand that. And she's, you know, always trying to find those ways around that. Right. So. Yeah. The reason I asked that question is that not because I feel that way. It's because that is the criticism, right? Is that, oh, well, she's just, you know, like all you do, you threw out Justin Trudeau's, but you appointed your own, but what can she really do? But there is something to be said for somebody who truly understands the issues advocating for you and then grinding against Justin Trudeau's system from within it's sort of the ron swanson attitude of bring it all down from the inside yeah. by working within the machinery 
Yeah, exactly. She's a great advocate, like, and, and her, her knowledge of firearms, you know, works to our advantage. Right. And, and her knowledge of this community, cause she was involved with uh, the Calgary community and Edmonton for years, long before me, you know, I, I started coming into this scene in around 2013 and yeah, I mean, she's just a wealth of knowledge. Right. So, yeah. And she, she, she gave unchallenged evidence at SECU. Nobody yeah. challenged her at SECU. Now, I want to ask you guys before uh, I wrap up the interview, because, again, you guys are busy. You guys have been very uh, gracious with your time. But I think one of the other issues that uh, members of the firearms community have to be aware of is that while, especially here in Alberta and some of the other provinces um, across the country, we have provincial governments who are on our side. Some of this stuff is going to come from municipal governments. Municipal police forces might not have the same qualms of snatching their neighbor's property that our friends in the RCMP have or, you know, like these municipal bylaw gun laws um, that we've seen out of Toronto where they're forcing um, gun ranges out of city limits. Um, considering, you know, different storage regulations within their municipalities. What can the gun rights community do to fight back against this sort of stuff? I actually think it might be a little bit easier to fight back because you can move the needle in municipal politics with just, you know, door knocking and getting out a few hundred votes to get rid of your anti-gun counselor. But I I think people have to get involved and sort of put these things on their radar. Yeah, absolutely. Get out and talk to your provincial people. Get out to... Get out to talk to your provincial MPP. Get out to talk to people at, at the local levels, the mayors, the the Reeves, you know, the, the the local directors. Get out to talk. Get out and speak to these people. These are the people that go to these meetings and are supposed to be there to express the voice of the citizens. So get out and talk to these people. If they don't hear it, they're not going to do it. Uh, you know, Toronto is a prime example right now. The mayoral race is going on and uh, and, uh, you know. The mayor makes a lot of decisions. The, 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 mayor, the mayor of Toronto is definitely politically motivated. It's going to be a liberal mayor. There's no doubt about that. And even Doug Ford has still, you know, and I'm calling Doug Ford out again. He still hasn't come on board with the other provinces and said, you know what, we're not going to we're not going to use provincial resources to uh, to go out and seize these firearms. I wish he would come out and say that, but he hasn't yet. But at the end of the day, it's like you said, Sheila, it's going to come down to the municipalities. And, uh, you know, Ontario, Ontario has the Ontario Provincial Police, which is the Ontario body. But there's also a lot of municipal police forces there. And uh, you know what? That's where uh, that's where local government comes into play. You know, convince them not to let their, uh, you know, waste resources on this uh, ludicrous uh, gun seizure. And, you know, uh, push the resources somewhere where they need to be, not not taking personal property away from law-abiding Canadian citizens. You know, that's a really great point. Uh, I think Dwayne will probably have something to say about this, but when you look at downtown Edmonton and downtown Calgary, and Danielle Smith is currently fighting to clean those places up through her uh, new addictions and drug policies and deploying sheriffs to the downtown core, you would think that Edmonton and Calgary City Police have better things to do but we actually haven't heard all that much about them saying, you know what, we we just don't want to expend resources on hassling gun owners. We haven't really heard them yet. 
No, we haven't heard that at all. And um, to add to what Rick said, I'd say take it even further. Don't just um, talk to your MLAs and MPs and things like that. Get involved. Join your EDA boards. Get involved because this country is led by those who show up to the meetings. And that's the problem we see in Edmonton, especially. You look yeah. at that city. I mean, there's a reason we call it Redmonton. And the... I, yeah, I'm not. I'm not shy to say it. I, I consider them very uneducated on firearms and the culture that we are, and they just automatically are brainwashed into believing what Trudeau and the NDP have been saying that you know it's guns, it's guns, it's guns. It's not. It, it's gang-related violence. So get involved in your EDAs, become a town councilor, even in the small town communities all throughout uh, Alberta. You know, become a counselor, it's the counselors. It's not always just the mayor. Uh, a lot of times it's the counselors and the mayor will break the tie in it, right? You know, so become a counselor if you're in a small town, even Edmonton, like like run for it, make a difference. It, because right now the, the people that are involved in that are very misguided on what the real issue is. And most of us out on the ground, we can see it plain as day, right? Yeah, and I convince, think sorry, go ahead. Convince your uh, local government this is more than a firearms issue. This is a personal property issue. You know, approach them like that. Appro tell them that this is about their personal property. And, uh, you know, I think that's that's where the the misunderstanding is. Everybody's focused on that narrow wall. This is this mm -hmm. is the gun, gun, bad, bad gun. You know what? This is this is more than that. This is personal property. I think. You know, and that's what, that, what that's what we do at the NFA. We explain to people this is more than just about your, your firearms. This is about your personal property, property that you worked hard for to buy, pay taxes on, to support Canada, and now they're coming and seize it. I think I think the approach needs to be focused on personal property instead of just you know the this uh, you know this liberal definition of a firearm. And I'm also very eager to see how Danielle Smith's addictions treatment policies, where we have a recovery-focused um, system here in Alberta, and we will come snatch you with a butterfly net if your family says you're violent and we're going to stick you in treatment, which is vastly different than what's happening in British Columbia. And I'm interested to see the tie-in between what we're doing here to cut the gangs off from their customers by getting their customers clean, what that's going to do to alleviate the cycle of violent crime here in Alberta, because we know that there is just a vicious circle of gang violence, gun crime, addictions, and it just goes round and round and round. So if we can at least intervene to break the addictions part of it, what impact that will have on the rest of it. And luckily enough, we have a province right beside us who's doing something completely opposite by which we can measure ourselves. Yeah, for sure. You know, and that, you know, the, the way British Columbia is going is simply, I, I, I can't believe they're doing what they're doing, but you know what, if you want to give, if you want to give uh, drug users more drugs, I, to, to solve the problem, I, I, I can't understand the reasoning behind that, but uh, you're right, Sheila, you know, and that, and the, you're right. The, uh, the addiction part of it, you know, and that, you know, and that, that, that comes into play a lot, a lot because these drugs have to come from somewhere and, uh, you know, it just it goes down to, you know, clamp down, take this money that they want to spend. They want to spend with uh, on, on firearm seizure. Take it and, and shift it towards addiction, shift it towards the smuggling of these drugs coming over the border. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, that that's where the money needs to be spent. But I, the Liberals seem to be having a real hard time understanding that. And, uh, you know, just uh, the, their easy way out. And this is this is this is liberal logic again. You know, we'll take the easiest way out, uh, you know, to give us the best benefit at the election. So, they, you know, that that it's a classic liberal thing again. Well, they can't seem to understand that the same people trafficking in illegal drugs are the ones trafficking in illegal guns and making our community communities less safe. They're the same people causing the social scourge. And yet, as we've been saying since the beginning of this, they seem to be focusing on the three of us and our friends. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah for sure. You know, and, the, and that the, and I don't think they're going to change direction. I just I, I just hope that the CPC continues in their direction. And uh, we, like I say, again, we need an election. Now, Dwayne, what are we up to in Alberta? What is what are you guys at the NFA doing um, these days? <laughs> trying to get out everywhere um I I'm, I'm spread so spread so thin i you know i apologize to everyone that i'm not everywhere i should be it's just hard to do that um but like rick said it, it's about education it's about awareness and especially getting into the cities like like i find there's so many people that have a misconception of our gun culture and what it really is and you know i was corrected on it a couple of years ago by terry bryant as well and some of her employees about the amount of gun owners rural versus um, urban and there's actually a lot of gun owners in calgary and edmonton as well and you got to remember a lot of these people come from the country and they've moved to the cities to work for a living and they still come back out to the country and visit us like it, we have a lot of members now that are still from edmonton that are originally from the vermilion wainwright area um but rural people are educated it, it really is the city people that we have to educate they're they're in their own little world their little bubble there where they do have so much gang related and organized crime going on that they have to learn not to paint us with the same brush. You know, we actually stand with them on mm -hmm. getting rid of violence. Like I said, anti-violence 365 is really what it should be. You know, it's so we're, we're trying to do what we can try to get there. Rick and I've talked about uh, we, we did a few things with the NFA, always called on the road with the NFA, and we've got to get back to doing that. We've been working more on going grassroots again in the NFA, getting off the world stage with the WS, WFSA. Um, we found the WFSA is starting to really go you know cooperate a little bit with the, the governments over in europe and things like that and they're just they're not helping us anything at all here in north america so grassroots we've got to get out there get to the ranges get to the city events and just keep plugging away at it and educate these people and unfortunately mainstream media doesn't help us with that either they don't want to listen to us they don't want to get our voice out at all here we are relying on you through the rebel and, and other venues like you and other media organizations like the rebel. And that that's our only way of getting our voice out. But you look at us, we're not, we're not the people that are creating 92% gang related violence, but we're the people that are losing our guns. And those criminals don't lose their guns at all throughout this whole process. So even back to the gun grab, when they come and take grandpa's and grandma's guns away and the mm -hmm. family heirlooms away, those 
gang bangers are still going to have guns. They buy them out of trunks of cars in dark back alleys, and they don't show up to Canadian Tire or Cabela's and providing their license to buy a firearm, right? So I was in Alberta this past weekend and uh, spoke to a lot of people, and it started off, it was it was really interesting because I started, I ended up having a conversation with two or three people, and it ended up being a 30 or 40 people roundtable. Everybody, uh, like I was in rural Alberta, but everybody is interested in rural Alberta. And you know what? And, you know, us educating these people and, and, you know, telling telling them what we're doing at the NFA and stuff. You know, and that's that's the other thing. You know, it's information. Uh, uh, Like Dwayne said, the rebel, you know, pushes our stuff out there and helps us and gets the word out to the people that don't know. But what I found was there was a lot of people out there. A lot of people out there with uh, that just didn't know that there was people out there like us trying to help them, and and w- which was good. So, you know, it, it, I was glad. You know, I met with ranchers and farmers and townspeople and a few people from the city, and uh, you know, it it was great to get out there in in Alberta and speak to these people because man, it's a family sport. You know, take you know, like you said, take take people to the range, get them interested, and they'll see that it's a family sport. It's a sport where if you're probably running into some of the most kind people there is out there, everybody at the range, there's no hotheads. There's no, you know, everybody's kind. Everybody speaks to each other. They, they, you know, they like being there. They're there for the same reason. And it's a, it's a great, great group of people. And like I say, what we're finding, there's a lot of people out there that don't know that there's groups like ours out there, you know, advocating for their rights. And when they find out, like I say, people were joining left, right, and center and saying, yeah, you know what, you guys, this is, if you're doing what you say you're doing, we're going to help you do it. So and I was really, I, I, I was, I was touched actually by talking, you know, speaking to some of these ranchers and, and farmers and townspeople and oil workers. And, you know, I, I was, I was touched how passionate these people are in Alberta. I really, really was. It's no I surprise to me and Dwayne. That's, it's okay. yeah. <laughs> I apologize for my internet cutting in and out. I know I lost you guys a couple of times, That's so I might okay. have missed a couple of questions. I, no, it's good. I uh, I had the same internet troubles till Elon Musk <laughs> invented yeah. the mighty Starlink. Um, I, before I let you guys go, um, and it doesn't matter whichever one of you wants to take um, this one, but uh, how do people find the NFA, find out what you're doing, and... Uh, I think most importantly, get involved because not only are you advocates, but you also bring legal challenges against the government as well. Yeah, the best the best way to find us is uh, look us up at nfa.ca. That's our website. Please join. You know, the money goes towards the fight. Please join. Uh, we're also very strong on social media. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Uh, we're on all the platforms. We're pushing stuff out on YouTube. We're uh, we're starting up our uh, NFA talk again. We were down a bit. Uh, we were down for a bit of time there, but we're going to be doing NFA talk. And actually, I, I would like to cordially invite you to be on one of our Anytime. NFA talks, Sheila. Anytime. And, uh, you know, and uh, we'll, we'll uh, you know, the best way to, to reach us is on our platforms. And like I say, join. You're, the money goes to a good cause. And uh, and uh, it would really, really help the the fight across Canada. And and folks, that's what it is. It's a fight right now. We're in a fight with the government to keep our personal property. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. And um, we'll have you back on again, both of you, very, very soon. And I think we're probably going to talk sooner than you think. All right. Thanks, Sheila. All right. Thank you, Sheila. Thanks, guys.
Well, friends, we've come to the portion of the show where I invite your viewer feedback. You see, unlike the mainstream media, I actually care about what you think about the work that we're doing here at Rebel News, not just on my show, but on all the shows. Because without you, there is no gun show. There is no Rebel News because we rely on you to support the work that we do, unlike the mainstream media who rely on Justin Trudeau forcibly confiscating money from people who don't want to watch mainstream media content and then taking that money to prop up unwatchable mainstream media content. And that content so often attacks the very people who pay for it. So anyway, this is why I give out my email address right now. It's Sheila at rebelnews.com. Send me a letter. Let me know what you think about the show tonight, but also don't hesitate to leave a comment anywhere that you might be watching this. Perhaps you're watching the free version of the show on Rumble or YouTube. Uh, leave a comment there. I just might go look in there for comments too. But today's comment is an email and it comes from, well, it's unsigned. <laughs> anyway, it's unsigned, but doesn't matter. If people want to remain anonymous, that's fine by me. And it's on last week's show with my friend Michelle Sterling from Friends of Science, where Michelle injected some much needed reality into the nonsensical debate that somehow forest fires are caused by your comfortable SUV at home, which definitely is not true. There's a reason it's called fire season, and that's because it's a cyclical, seasonal thing. Anyway, our letter writer writes, Hi, SGR. That's David Menzies' fun name for me. <laughs> your latest show with Michelle Sterling, informing your listeners about the many global warming hypocrisies and how sinister China's CCP truly is, should be front page news and a wake-up call to Canadians. You'd think, <laughs> you'd think, but it doesn't quite fit the narrative. And again, this goes to my whole point that if you are giving the media money, then the media, if they want more money, they're just going to say what the government wants them to say, either overtly or through a wink and a nod. And so since we're not funded by the government, we get to say whatever we honestly believe about the facts in front of us. Our letter writer goes on. I live in southern interior BC, but previously lived in Calgary for almost 10 years, and it boggles my mind how seemingly the majority of people here go along with the cult of global warming and COVID. Some blindly, most albeit begrudgingly. Yes, some are blind, but some just don't want the hassle of having to live in reality, right? And if you live in reality, then certain choices stem from those realities. And sometimes those choices are hard. And sometimes those choices will make people not like you, even though you're making the right choice and making the right moral stand. So a lot of people would just rather take the path of least resistance or they just really want to be liked. And uh, I'd rather be hated for doing the right thing. I just, I think I could sleep better. <laughs> anyway, let's keep going. The recent election of Daniel Smith's conservatives very seriously makes me consider moving back to Alberta. For the love of God, I hope she stays true to the conservative base and doesn't suffer the same fate that other Alberta conservative premiers have since Ralph. You know, that's true. <laughs> Say what you will about Albertans. Boy, we're prickly. And we don't stand for people becoming less conservative than they promised us they would be. And so sometimes Albertans 
burn down the whole house because we don't like the color of the paint in the bathroom, so to speak. But that's okay. <laughs> because from the ashes of your burned down house, often you rebuild something much better. Here in BC, we only have one BC conservative MLA, John Rustad, whom we talked to quite a bit here at Rebel News, who is the only dissenting voice in the legislature. I truly hope the BC conservatives can make some progress in the next election. Thanks for all your good work. Well, thanks so much. A very thoughtful letter. Thank you. Um, if you are seriously considering moving to Alberta, I can't wait to see you here. I think this is the best place uh, on the face of the earth. Uh, my ancestors also <laughs> thought that, but my ancestors moved here for probably the same reason that many people today move here. And that's because of our opportunity, our low cost of living, and our people who so deeply believe in freedom. And despite the disappointing turnout for conservatives in the major municipalities. I think Daniel Smith has four years to do what Ron DeSantis did in Florida, and that is convince his skeptics that freedom is the right way. So as you know, in Florida, it was basically a statistical rounding error four years ago that brought Ron DeSantis, the Republican governor there, to power. And then four years later, because of his strong stance for freedom, he was able to evangelize to those people, to teach them the good ways of being left alone, and also to show them that if you act fast, you can actually disprove your critics who say that if you do these things, the sky will fall. You have to act fast so that you can prove to the people that, you know what, the sky didn't fall. So I hope Danielle Smith doesn't hide her agenda <laughs> like Stephen Harper and just moves fast and furiously to bring forward the things she wants to do um, so that Albertans have time to experience the things she wants to do and realize that it's not the catastrophe the left would have you believe. Well, everybody, that's the show for tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll see everybody back here in the same time, in the same place next week. And as always, remember, don't let the government tell you that you've had too much to think.